Thank you. My name is Kay Show, and I'm a recovering alcoholic, and I am very grateful to be here. Thank everyone for their service to make this meeting happen. And, you know, I also used to think that free thinkers meant non-religious uh, as or secular AA or whatever was in my head at the time. I've come to know that it doesn't mean that at all. So to be invited to share my experience, strength, and hope, I'm going to do something that's a little different for me. And I want it recorded because I want to have feedback from other people about if they've had this experience too. Because one of my delusions in this program has been that I'm so unique and nobody else is going to have the experience I've had. And of course, that's not true. My sobriety date is December 27, 1986, and continuously for 36 years, one day at a time, I have remained sober. I want to say that that one of the promises that has meant the most to me is that I will not regret the past. That was a toughie for me because the more I stayed around Alcoholics Anonymous, the more I recognize the damage I had done to myself, to my family, and to the things that meant a lot to me under the influence of alcohol. Now, I'm going to spend no time hardly talking about my drunk story because I want to go to my topic that I want to offer you today. And I've done some thinking about it. I'll tell you quickly that my drunk went like this. I drank for 17 years. I came into AA at 33. I came in in an all-white community in a small town in rural Iowa. I'm originally from a Black city, a chocolate city, Detroit, Michigan. And I've had that leftist radical background all of my life. From the very beginning, as a card-carrying voter registration pusher to sitting on the pipelines a few months ago, um, the pipelines in Duluth, Minnesota. I'm against them in my own country. So whether you believe that or support that is irrelevant to me. I'm sharing a context for the kind of person that I have been and a person I've been better at staying sober. There's no way I would have stayed sober without the help of my sponsors. I've had three. I've had a woman, I used to call her white girl, uh, she taught me the program in the very beginning, and she was a kind of a softy, you know, I think you should try this. And I used to think, what the hell does this woman know? But, you know, I was too scared to push back. And I did the suggestions that she would give me because I wanted her to tell me quickly how to stay sober. And then I was out of this group. They were touchy feely white folks. And I didn't like that. Well, that didn't work. I stayed. They didn't tell me shit except to keep coming back. And I did. She was fabulous. And she taught me the program from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. My second sponsor was a man and he was a tough ass. He didn't take any of my crap. I don't even know how I really got hooked up with him. And, but he was my sponsor for more than two years, almost three years. And I'm very grateful for the things that he taught me about staying emotionally sober, not just sober. By the way, for a long time for me, I did not know that uh, my disease of body and mind 
after I decided to live a sober life one day at a time that I would have emotional relapses. So my second sponsor taught me a lot about how, how those were as dangerous as putting myself in circumstances where I might drink again. Um, my third sponsor is the one that I have now, and I've had her since 1996, a zillion years. I just saw her last night. She came to hear me share at another place, and I love her to death. She is crazy as hell, but together we have stayed sober. She's been sober 10 more years than I have, and I love her. And the idea that I'm accepting is as I get closer to her getting older, and possibly having to one day say my sponsor passed, I am not prepared for that under any circumstances. It's terrifying to even think of that, but that will happen once in the same way that it will happen for those people that I sponsor. I wanna go on to say that I have a this idea of a higher power when I first came into AA, that December 22nd, a few days before Christmas, so my life must have been desperate if I came into AA three days before Christmas, and I'm not even going to go there and tell you how. All I know is that I went in and looked at that wall, and they had that higher power stuff up there, and I said, holy shit, I'm not doing any of that. I don't believe in a white man on a cross with blue eyes and blonde hair is going to save me. I believe in activism, and my sponsor, she was so sweet. She said, honey, we'll just pass step two and three, and we'll go directly to four. And I'm grateful that she was patient with myself, with me. Um, and that my favorite page in the big book, I have several, but my first number one is on page 27. You can look it up yourself. And it says something like this. Some of us thought we could do without a spiritual life. So I'm going to come back to that theme. But that was what I thought at the time that I didn't need that. And I had I stuck around to find that I would need that. Um, I want to say that, uh, step two is, uh, step 12, carrying the message and being of service have saved my life. There've been many times in this program in which I've either been bored out of my mind because I've heard all of your stories and, or I didn't see the point of continuing to do this because I didn't desire to drink again. And also I did not realize that this disease is mostly in the mind. So as I stayed around and began to see the effects of not working the program as rigorously in the beginning and each moment of my life. I saw that through people leaving the program and having trouble getting back. By the way, I've been to seven funerals of people who ended their life because they couldn't get back to AA. That kept me scared to death. I looked up that word laurels and it means, it means to try to survive on past victories. So I'm not someone who's inclined to do that. I'm a person who's directly involved in my recovery on a daily basis through service. And I've had at least 17 uh, service positions in Alcoholics Anonymous. I just resigned after a three-year service on the International Women's Conference. It was a marvelous experience where I had a chance to be of maximum service to Alcoholics Anonymous for women all over the world. I am someone who has carried this message to in other countries been involved in Ethiopia, Ghana, China, and I've been to AA in 40 countries. So I know someone is doing service somewhere to save the sick person like myself. So let me stick with my agenda because I got a point to get to. I want to get to my topic. What is it like 
you know, my topic today is when I didn't know what I believed in. That's my topic. It's nowhere in the big book. It's nowhere in our literature, but it is my topic today because I want to tell you what it was like, what happened, and what it is like now when I didn't know what I believed in. Um, when I didn't know that there was a clear source of power to rely on, the only person I had was myself. And I grew up, as I said, in a Black community. I grew up in a Black survival mode, angry as hell at American racism, sexism, and all the other shit, and committed to making it change. I grew up in the era of the 60s, and I had all the things in place to be an activist in every level of my life, starting from junior high school through college and later as a professional. You know, my Bill W. talks about the pain before he came to believe. Well, he talks about that bitter morose. I had that too. I had it in many forms. I just didn't know what to call it. I knew there was this hollowness in me, but I was always trying to fill it with something else. So let me tell you some of those things. I was a queen of therapy, counseling, psychiatrists. <laughs> I took a few of the meds they suggested for my anxiety or what they defined as depression. Didn't work for me. <laughs> it calmed things down, but it didn't get me any closer to that hole that I knew was there in me. I certainly tried education. I was not only going to get my piece of the American pie, but I was going to get my piece of the American privileges. So I did live in the house with the big, uh, big uh, three-car garage and and uh, the picket fence and the four kids and the series of husbands. I am really good at divorce. I love it. I think it's a great thing. And I have had many of them and will have as many as I need to. But, you know, in that pursuit of education, I got that PhD. I wrote those books. Oh my God, did I study everything? And yet it did not fill that hole in me. I have all the prestige in the world. I have been spared those last 10 years of hell. And by the way, I never got caught drinking, dr uh, driving drunk. I did. I never got caught when I left my kids in the house and went out to drink at night. I could have lost my children. I didn't even get caught when I was sleeping with your husbands and I could have. The fact is that I was spared. I went to AA and begged for help and they gave me that help, but education did not fill that hole. My activism, which I've talked about several times and I'm the most proudest of, one of the gifts of staying in this program for 36 years is I became a better activist outside of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I love it. I'm involved with all kinds of things. But guess what? Believing in that, acting on that, did not feel that hole in me at all. And of course, I tried nutrition and exercise. I was going to be a vegetarian, edutarian. It didn't goddamn matter. I've had all kinds of food plans most of my life. And, you know, in order to improve the outside, hoping that it would improve the inside. I have removed all those restraints from my childhood to eat, to not eat, to exercise, to not exercise, to do yoga, to walk, to marathons. And recently, last year, I walked part of the Camino. Loved it, but it did not deal with that hole in me. And also, finally, I was in other programs. At one point, I must have been floating around 
three or four programs at the same time, maybe five or six programs. I went to Debtors Anonymous, Love Addicts Anonymous, you name it. I was anonymous in every damn thing. And I learned a great deal about how my disease could warp into something else. Unlike my sponsor, I didn't spend up $100,000. Unlike one of my sponsees, I did not gamble away all of my money and ended up losing my house. But I had other issues, and I am grateful for those other programs, but they did not solve the problem inside of me. In fact, what saved me is that nine or 10 years in, when I refused to do step two and three, my sponsor told me bravely, that's the dude, he said, you know, one day you're going to have a 328 in the morning experience where you're going to need something greater than you. And, you know, he did this thing for me. I'll never forget. He said, here's you and here's the disease. What do you have in between you and the disease? And, you know, there's that beautiful metaphor inside of the big book that says our thinking, our intellect will only get us halfway across that bridge. And I was kind of stuck at that halfway point. So I want to tell you that in my instance, that day, April 10th, 2010, when I was floating along, staying sober, <laughs> I was forced to take step two and three. My kids were gone. We had bought a new house. We were, I was alone and I was had that restless, irritable, and discontent sense inside of me. That hole was there, beeping, beeping, beeping. And I knew it, and I couldn't feel it with anything else. And in my case, my sponsor had said, when you feel that, open up the big book three times and see what you read, and something will come to you. Shit did not come to me at 328 in the morning. I took the big book, threw it across the room, and started screaming like a lunatic. Where in the hell are you if you're here for me? What is, and I'm just crazy. And for this scientist, feminist, Marxist-Leninist, activist, person who has traveled the world and has seen wonderful things. I had this experience that changed my life. I'm in my bedroom. All of a sudden, my bedroom becomes a river. A boat shows up. A woman in it who's wearing a, or a purple and orange dress is rowing the boat. She reaches her hands out and pulls me out of the water that I had been treading my entire life. The water was up to my nose and I was going as fast as I could. She pulled me in the boat and she said, relax. And I'm gonna tell you, I cried for 40 minutes in real time, but that experience only lasted a few minutes. And she took me down the river in my room in that moment and I'm going to tell you, I don't care if you understand or believe that, that is what happened to me. And that is what created the experience inside of me to believe. I have, I don't believe there's a power between me and my disease. I know there is a power 
between me and my disease. And that day is what it felt like to me. Thank goodness I'm in a program that allowed me to have the experience that I can have to come to discover what that power is like in one's life. If it is a fellowship, if it's a tennis game, if it's a rock, if it's Ra, if it's Buddha, if it's Muhammad, I don't care. That's what it took for this drunk to know what it is that there is something between her and her disease. I tell you about that woman in the boat because many years in AA, I was too scared to push back on many things. I thought that if I told people that experience, I'd look like a nut. And I certainly didn't tell any religious communities that I had that experience. But what I began to realize is that I need to practice rigorous honesty in all my affairs. So I began to talk about that experience at the group level in my home group. And I realized that other people had had the experience I had had. And why wouldn't they? <laughs> the program promises that this is possible. I want to diverge for a moment and tell you about Lee. I know I have some time. I want to be cognizant of the time. Lee is a, a guy that used to come to our meeting. I just talked to him this morning and uh, he's somebody that I sponsor. And I'm uh, I a woman identified cisgendered woman who sponsors a, a male. And I met him in the rooms. And, you know, I met him because he used to come to our AA meetings and he used to say dumb shit. He used to attack people in the meetings. And I wanted to slap his face and throw his ass out. But we don't have the means to do that. <laughs> he wanted to stop drinking. So he had a right to be there. So one day after the meeting, I said, can I talk to you for a minute? And he said, yes. And I said, I just want to know, have you worked the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous? And he said to me, I know what those steps are. I said, that's not what I asked you, asshole. I asked you if you ever worked it. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, I tell you what, I will meet you for an hour before every meeting and we'll work them together. Now, why in the world? If all the things in the cosmos, would I have an opportunity to sponsor someone so diametrically opposed to me? I don't know. But what I got from that is that this guy who was a survivalist, who had been a racist, who lived out on the grid with his dog, Doug, who only ate mushrooms, canned his own food. He was about as crazy and as loony and as nuts as anybody I had ever met in my life. And guess what? I learned that the same steps that saved my life saved his life. He is, he like me has had that complete personality change. And if I was to pick up the phone now and call Lee, he would be in my house in 20 minutes. I love him. I trust him. He is reliable just like I am. So my point to you is that my woman in a book boat was the beginning experience of me trusting, but also simultaneously that trusting came when I began to see the miracle happen in other people's programs. And I got to share what was within me. Let me go a little bit faster. You know, one of the reasons that I know that I 
had to have this something between me and my disease is because throughout my life, I had had men, many mental breakdowns. I, I call them burnouts or breakdowns. I had been in, in the hospital at 21, 33, 47, and 67 with no physical problems, but some emotional problem. And in many ways, I think that that is a result of the times in which I got stuck, you know, forgetting that I have a disease of the mind as well as the body. My body has become now one of my greatest teachers that, you know, that the memories of trauma, generational or otherwise, I'm beginning to see that my body is the message bearer of the next steps of my own recovery. So I want to leave you with what is all this like now? Where am I at now? Because I'm somebody who came to spirituality, I call it later in the program, as a result of the touchstone of pain that they talk about that brings us to our knees. By the way, I remember my second sponsor, you know, I told you that guy, Jim, he told me one day, I think you ought to go to the meeting and get on your knees and read the third step prayer to your group. And I remember saying, I ain't doing no shit like that. And he said, okay, it's just a friendly suggestion. And you know, that night that rolled in my mind all night. <laughs> and then I said the next day, I'm going to that meeting. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to do what he said to show that bastard. And you know what would happen? I'd get on my knees. I'd read the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee. And I look up and tears are going down the people's faces in the room. They have gotten down on their knees and we are saying the third step prayer together. And I got home later and called my sponsor and I said, it wasn't about humiliation. It was about me recognizing that I could live beyond my resistance, wasn't it? He said, yeah. So I am not that resistance to the suggestions of people who have stepped and gone before me in this program. So what is it like now? Recovery I have come to accept is ongoing, that I have to be as rigorous in spiritual growth because that is the source, that's the fountain of my source of as anything else in my life, what I put in my body. I'm 70 years old, I'm healthy as a rock, <laughs> but I still have to do the spiritual work. I understand why on page 164 in the big book, it says we trudge. That means not a straight line, but we go to the left and to the right, but we move forward to the left and to the right. So I trudge that road of happy destiny through growth spiritually. And for me, that means staying close to the center of the room. And it does mean service. Number two, my reward today is not the things early on in recovery. You know, I wanted um, early on in recovery not to have any of the consequences of my past drinking. By the way, that gym guy again, he told me, you're going to stay in recovery so that your four adult children, when they're ready, they're going to confront you about what it was like to have you as a drunk mother. And oh my God, I was terrified of that moment. Well, interestingly enough, two of my four children only had a mother who was not drinking and who was in recovery. And when I have, when I watch them have a conversation with the other two, they say, that isn't the mother I had. So I was able to stay in the program until all four of my children talked to me. They're 47 all the way down to 22. 
and six grandchildren later who think I'm a magic or Wizard of Oz, they clearly have, I, they, I was able to stay in the program long enough. My reward in this program now is freedom and inner peace, not doing that or not doing that. I don't have a not program. I have a to-do program, and I'm totally grateful for that. You know, one of the things that happened to me with my third sponsor, who I adore and love, she taught me the difference between this perpetual search to look for what was wrong with me, to look at what has happened to me, what happened to me. And that was something that for a very long time, I added up any reflection to to searching for this one more bad thing I could find out about Keisho. And when I finally made that shift with a lot of resistance to what happened to me, then I could get off that treadmill of looking for some internal answer to as a result of what happened to me, what am I willing to do now in my life? And I'm really grateful for that opportunity because it is the action that I have taken to be so much better in, in as a human being as an activist, as a mom, as a grandmother, as a partner. You know, I'm actually married to somebody that I kind of like. I didn't want him to change. He's not one of us. I respect and admire him. He gets on my nerves about 10% of the time, but he reminds me I get on his nerve 10% of the time too, but that's partnership. But I want to say that only to say that I now can respond to the things I cannot change in a responsible and meaningful way. Who is to say that this person who came to AA, December 22nd, 1986, if they had laid out what was gonna come in front of me, I'd have left AA in five seconds. I would not have stayed around for any of these miracles that I get to live. And I would never have known that there was a big chunk of my life at up to 33 years old that I did not know what I believed. So it is true that I have come to believe in a power greater than myself can restore me to internal peace and freedom. And that I make a decision in step three on a daily basis to turn my will and life over to the care of that thing between me and my disease. Now I want to tell you one more quick story. It's it's this debate about whether there are miracles in Alcoholics Anonymous. I thought that was ridiculous to speak in terms like this. Are you kidding? That's something's in the Bible. I'm not really an advocate of any of that anyway, for my way of thinking. The woman in the boat, listen to who just said that. (laughs) Anyway, there were miracles. And I want to tell you one of mine. When I was about two months sober, That sponsor I told you about, white girl is what I called her. I loved her. She called me one night at about 9.45 and she said, I'm going to be picking you up. And I said, what? She said, we're going to do a 12-step call. And I said, oh my God, I didn't say this to her, but I thought in my mind, she's fucking out of her mind. I ain't going to no white people's house in a small town who've been drinking. I'm scared to death. So I said to her, some other alternative voice said, okay. So she came and picked me up. We got in the car. We drove about a mile away from my house. We went into this house and the husband had punched in the walls. 
one of the light, the lamps was broken. She was stretched out on the floor and the grandmother was sitting in the rocker with her son, with her grandson, who appeared to be about seven years old. He was crying. It was a horrible scene. And you know, it triggered the hell out of me, right? My sponsor says to me, go in the kitchen and make coffee. And I freak out because I'm thinking I'm going to somebody's kitchen. Anyway, the grandmother gets up. We go and make coffee. We get this woman sobered up off the floor. And about 11.15, my sponsor says to her, me, tell her your story. And I'm thinking to myself, I ain't got no goddamn story. I've been in the program two months. So I said, my name is Keisho. I'm an alcoholic. I've read this book. My life is changing and I'm grateful for AA. That's all I had at the time. I'm not drinking. My sponsor tells her story, which was really beautiful. And then my sponsor says to me, give her the book. So I reach in my bag and I give her a new copy of the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I gave her 12 and 12 and I gave her a meeting schedule. And guess what? She came for about two weeks and then poof, she disappeared. And I remember feeling so devastated. My sponsor says, you don't know who's in charge of what's going to happen to her life. You did what you were supposed to do. So I thought, okay, maybe white girl is right. So here's the deal. 25 years later, I'm in a small town, 17 miles from myself. I'm at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting because I go to other meetings sometimes. And this young man, when it is his turn to share, he points to me and says, you see that woman over there? She came to our house one night. She gave my mother a big book. She was the one who told her story and my mother never drank again. And when we buried her, she had that big book that she gave. And I broke down and cried like everybody because we never know who we're going to influence. So that morass that I lived in all those years, being confused about what I believed, that becomes what I think that promise is about. Things in the past will not haunt us. They take a shape and form in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that is the miracle I stayed around to have and that I cherish. Thank you for letting me share.